Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Uh, beautiful Friday morning here in Orlando, Florida. We have Ben Newman. Ben, you're in Orlando too, correct? I am, yeah. yeah it's sure. a shame that we probably live about eight miles away from each other and we have to do this no. on Zoom, right? Yeah. Crazy stuff. But I got the Florida background for you. Um, you got the more official background. Uh, ben, you and I have worked together for a number of years. And you just made the interesting transition from what thirty-year defense uh, insurance defense trial attorney to the uh, mediation services. How has that transition been for you? Uh, it's going well. Yeah, about uh, approximately about twenty-five years. Um, wow. And I've yeah, and I um, yeah, I, I really enjoy being a trial lawyer. I like trying cases, and I've tried lawsuits all over Florida. Uh, there's a lot of the other day-to-day -day stuff that just started to really wear on me, and I and I just stopped enjoying a lot of the practice of law. But I actually got certified as a mediator about 16 years ago, and, and so mediation and arbitration has been a small part of my practice, but I always really enjoyed it. So I made the decision probably mid-year last year that I wanted to transition to do this full-time, and it's, it's, going, it's going well so far because I'm able to bring a lot of the courtroom experiences um, that I've had into the mediation process and really kind of share with people what I perceive to be the real risks and dangers and uncertainties that come with trying cases, which mediation hopefully helps you avoid by getting cases settled. Yeah, totally. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted mediation? And are you, are you doing these mostly, I imagine you're doing them via Zoom or WebEx, how has the whole pandemic influenced, I guess, client attitudes or, or just the whole mediation process? Yeah, I've been doing since mid-March, I've been doing exclusively Zoom mediation. So I've done probably uh, 20, 25 mediations since then until now. And I have mediation scheduled, of course, into May and June. And most of them, the people are still scheduling them on Zoom. Um, there's a couple here and there that are now wanting to have them in person. It's going well so far. I think it's, it, is the, it is the next best alternative to doing it in person. Um, you do miss certain nuances about being in person with people. Um, certainly you can see facial expressions, but there's something to be said about body language that you get from the participants, the attorneys or the, or the parties that you can kind of play off of. Also the physicality, as a mediator, you want people to be comfortable and it's more of an informal process than being in a trial. So if I'm in a conference room, I can move, move around and sit next to a, a person who may have lost a, a loved one or, or maybe a, a defendant who feels like they're being wrongly sued and, I, and just develop more of a personal rapport with them. It's a little more difficult through Zoom, but I, but I tell people it's probably about 70% as good as being in person. It's, it's certainly better than being in a, in a telephone conference setting because yeah. you, do get, you do get to make eye contact with people. You do get to develop some rapport with them. It's just, it's just, there's no substitute for being in person, just like there wouldn't be in trial. In trial, you want to be, I think about it as a trial lawyer, I want to be there to, to feed off of what the, what the jurors are, their expressions and their faces, or if, I'm, if I, I get a sense of um, connecting with them or not. And same thing with witnesses on the stand. Certainly, I guess you could do those things via video conference, but it's, it's there's, again, it just isn't as good as being in person. But I'd say under the circumstances, it's doing very well. 
Yeah, we've been doing a lot of um, virtual uh, witness preps um, with uh, witnesses and trial attorneys all over the country. It's a couple tech glitches here and there. Uh, the video and audio is never perfect. So based on your experiences uh, with doing the um, mediations uh, in this kind of remote uh, setting, uh, do you have kind of a list of maybe advice for uh, uh, attorneys, like maybe some do's and don'ts when it comes to virtual mediations? Sure. I would say um, one challenge is that attorneys are not usually physically present with their clients during Zoom mediations. So usually, you know, in an in-person mediation, the, the attorney's there, their client is there, they have a conference room that they're together. Um, in Zoom we have virtual breakout rooms uh, so they can meet together at Zoom, but they're not physically together. So there is something lost, I believe, in um, that relationship. So my recommendation would be that the attorneys spend um, a considerable amount of time before the mediation talking with their client about the mediation process um, and to really find out what their goals are for the case. Is it one they really do want to get settled? Uh, is it one that they want to try to fight at, at, in court? Um, what are their really get through their expectations, but have that conversation, uh, ex an extensive conversation when uh, before the mediation actually starts? Because again, they're not going to have the opportunity to be physically present in a room with their client during the mediation process. And as I said, I think some of the some of the effectiveness of of that is is lost if you're not in person. So that would be my 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 biggest. Uh, recommendation and the other one is I think be patient um, I think when you're when you have to get in your car and go to a, a, um, a conference facility or, or a lawyer's office for mediation you're expecting to be there uh, for several hours or maybe even all day yeah. um, in a zoom conference for, for whatever reason sometimes people think that it's going to be much more quick that the process will be um, more streamlined, just people will get to the nuts and bolts of, of the negotiations and mediations going to be over with. And that's not the case. Zoom mediations last as long as in-person ones do. Yeah. I mean, they can be two hours, four hours, um, you know, all day ones are seven and a half, eight hours. And so I, I sense that people get a little impatient, like, why is this taking so long? Because <laughs> they're thinking that they can get in and out. It, it's not like going through drive-through um, at McDonald's just because you... Um, are doing it by Zoom. You have to, you have to be invested for the day, uh, just like if you were in person. Well, maybe you just came up with something that the drive-through mediation. <laughs> you could market I would, that trademark. I would, I would, yeah, I wouldn't be the one of the, the first one to test that, but it's yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to see that happen. Now, um, when you were practicing uh, law as a trial attorney, I know you and I dealt with this several times. Uh, reptile theory. Um, even as a mediator, do you, do you still do you still see that? Because um, I, I haven't seen any real slowdown in, in reptile theory, and does that actually work its way in, in, into the mediation process with essentially the plaintiff's bar, um, the plaintiff's side arguing that hey, you know, safety was the top priority, and uh, the defense blew it when it comes to safety. Are you still seeing those themes play out? I am. I've done um, a few medical malpractice mediations lately where that was an issue. There was a, a case I recall that involved a um, bariatric surgery case where unfortunately the patient had, had passed away. And that was a theme of plaintiff's counsel is that there are, um, that not only is the doctor responsible for the health and the, and the outcome, but also that there is a patient safety issue. So it's definitely 
finding its way into the mediation process. Um, the good thing about mediation is as a mediator, I'm not a judge, so I don't make any decisions about what is or what is not usable in a trial. So if defense attorneys will say, well, that's a, that's a reptile theory concept and we'll try to keep that out. I mean, I tell them, look, I, as a mediator, I, I, I can't say what's right or wrong. All I can tell you is I know plaintiff's counsel is going to push hard to get uh, the judge to agree that they can make that argument in front of a jury. So it's a risk for you uh, as a defense. And I try to remind them of that, that there's no guarantee because the defense attorneys, all they want to do and what I wanted to do as a defense attorney is try to keep that out. Um, but you have judges that allow some form of it to come in at trial and evidence. And so it can be a feature of mediation because I told them, look, it's a risk for you. If we don't sell the case, they may very well be able to argue that concept to a jury. Excellent stuff, Ben. Uh, final question. How do you see, and I've been asking all of my guests this, and I, no one really knows, but I'd love your thoughts on it. Um, because of COVID-19, you've seen a lot of very positive PR, particularly during, uh, towards the trucking industry and the healthcare industry. Do you think that translates uh, over to jury decision-making, or do you think that may just be something short-term? Because I think, obviously, those two industries want to take advantage of the positive messaging that's been, that's been out there. Do you see that impacting jury decision-making at all going forward? That's a really great question. Um, and, it's, of course, it's too early to tell because we're not having jury trials. Yeah. Um, but I think the answer is probably, yeah. Um, how long will those good feelings last? Hard to say, but I think you're right. There's almost going to be a presumption of, um, of non-negligence or a presumption that the healthcare provider or a truck driver, for example, um, is, is not negligent or shouldn't be found liable. So I think from the plaintiff's bar perspective, that is probably going to be a concern and probably something that I would imagine you're going to see more questions about during jury selection. Um, yeah. It probably, especially in cases where, um, you know, obviously you're dealing with a healthcare person in a malpractice case, or it might be a, an accident or in a trucking accident case. I can foresee plaintiff's attorneys spending a considerable amount of time asking questions of potential jurors um, about whether their feelings during the whole coronavirus situation may impact because they, they sort of put this industry or, or these folks on a pedestal and would have a hard time being impartial uh, in, in rendering a verdict uh, when they may be a defendant. So I think it's definitely subject matter for jury selection going forward. How long will that be? Um, good question. Six months, a year beyond, beyond that. You know, I don't know. I mean, after the whole September 11th scenario, you know, we put the military on a pedestal and where they should be. Um, but I think that's that's continued even almost 20 years later. So who knows? It may be a long-term prospect. Finally, and on a related note, and I'm sure that you've seen this. So, I mean, companies, corporate America particularly, are flooding our email boxes and, and, and TV sets with their um, safety and health is our top priority here at, you know, blank, blank <laughs> company. Yeah. I know that you've seen these these messages, which um, I cringe as a trial consultant when I hear some of these things, because I, I hear a lot of extreme messaging when it comes to safety and health, almost to the point where they're insuring it, 
and I don't think that the PR department's necessarily talking to the legal department. Do you see some legal pitfalls maybe going forward in litigation where a lot of these companies have essentially said, hey, we're putting your safety, your health as our top priority. That can come back to haunt them in litigation, correct? I agree with you. In fact, that's actually crossed my mind um, about that because you're right. They're basically setting a higher standard for themselves rather than just, um, you know, the, the usual, if you will, business as usual. They're basically saying we're going above and beyond to ensure your safety. And the truth is that nobody can ensure anybody's safety 100%. So, for example, if there's a large restaurant chain that's running commercials like that and somebody unfortunately um, contract coronavirus, a customer, they're going to wonder, did it happen from being in an Olive Garden or, you know, being in a, in a restaurant where they've gone on TV and, and talked about how they, they uh, clean and sanitize uh, aggressively and are, are all they, their number one priority is the safety uh, and health of their folks. I think you're right. It, it does potentially create uh, some, a new level of legal exposure because, um, Inevitably, there are going to be people who, who are, um, you know, customers or clients of those businesses, and they're going to they're going to get coronavirus, and it may have nothing to do with that that store, that restaurant, that place of business. Um, but it could easily it could create a, a question and could potentially link them to, which would create some type of, of legal exposure. So yeah, I do think, especially in places where there's a large amount of clientele, like the theme parks, for example, or sports venues or concert venues, those kinds of things, if they take, if they go to that measure um, and and talk a lot about safe, protecting the safety of of their, of their customers or or their guests, large hotels, for example, as well. um, I foresee that being a potential legal issue for them going forward. And it may, it may create a new, a whole new, cause of action and a whole new rash of lawsuits. I think that's a possibility. Well, let's end on the most, probably the most important though, uh, what is going to happen with college football? I mean, we're in the state of Florida where, you know, pro sports, <laughs> no one watch, watches pro sports in the state of Florida. Uh, college football, are they going to play without fans? Uh, are you hearing anything about this? Because we're all chomping at the bit here. And that was yeah. not that was not a Gator reference, by the way. But we are all, you know, we all need something. And as fall approaches, uh, do you have any predictions where, particularly with college sports, where this is all going? Well, it's funny you asked me this question. It's also funny you make the chomping at the bit reference <laughs> because both of my sons go to University of Florida. So, we talk about we talk about this, um, and I told them the other day I could foresee the uh, college stadiums allowing every other seat being filled as a compromise. But how would that work, right? I mean, for people with season tickets, so would you be allowed to go to every other game, and you'd have to share a seat with somebody else? Meaning, you know, you get to go one one game, and then you have to skip one, and then someone else gets your seat the next time. I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a nightmare. I don't. I don't, to me, you almost have to do it all or nothing because yeah. either you have no fans, um, but if you had, if you said we're going to have 25% fans or 50% fans, how would you do that? Would you give priority to season ticket holders, but they'd have to sit one seat over from each, each other and only get to go half the games? I mean, it would, <laughs> it would be, a, it'd be a nightmare. It'd be an absolute, there's, there would be no way to satisfy anybody. So I, I feel like it's almost going to have to be all or nothing. 
um, honestly. And I just don't know when, I don't know when we're going to know, just like with everything else. I know, right? We will know when we know. Um, But there has to be, I think there's going to have to be uniformity, meaning that the colleges, universities are going to have to come up with one policy. I, I think you can't piecemeal it where some are going to allow fans others are not it's going to i think it's going to have to be across the board and i'm sure there'll be lawsuits from all those decisions as well <laughs> probably i mean there and there's going to be in look at the concert venues and that kind of thing i mean there's going to be all kinds of lawsuits coming out of uh ticket sales and lack of refunds for ticket sales and, and vendors and yeah it's going to be it's going to be problematic Wow. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Great to see you. Great to hear from you. Good luck. Thank you. you. On the mediation front. We'll be in touch soon. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care, buddy.